0: Father, we pray this morning that you will show us Christ. From the pages of the Holy Bible, as we open your word to learn, show us Christ. I pray that your spirit might so enlighten our eyes and open the door of our heart, that we would welcome Christ into our soul. I pray, Lord, that our lives would be exposed by your word and transformed by your truth. So that we might be like Jesus Christ. O holy God of heaven, almighty God of the universe, speak to us with the voice, your voice, the voice of Scripture today. In Jesus' name we pray, Amen. Does your Bible have errors in it? Some Bibles have had errors over the years. I'm talking about printer's errors. For instance, there was an edition of the Bible that was printed in 1810. It was called the Wife-Haters Bible. Luke chapter 14, verse 26, read like this. If any man come to me and hate not his own wife, he cannot be my disciple. Well, if you know the Scripture, that word is supposed to be life, not wife. Just one wrong letter—that was all. But that was the white, white wife-hater's Bible, and I hope it didn't sell very well. There was a Bible published in 1716 called the "Sin On" Bible. You remember the portion of Scripture where Jesus talks to the woman who was caught in the act of adultery, John chapter 8, and after dismissing her critics, he says to her, "Go and sin." no more but instead of printing the word no they printed the word on go and sin on more so it was called the sin on bible and kind of missed the message that the lord was making at that point but perhaps the most famous of all is the wicked bible of 1631. the wicked bible called that because it printed in the ten commandments the book of exodus chapter 20 The seventh commandment, thou shalt commit adultery. Just forgot the word not. But it was called the wicked Bible. King Charles was so furious that he had every Bible destroyed that was printed like that, and even fined every printer who touched that edition with his hands. Find them for allowing the Bible to get out with such a mistake. We don't have too many of those typographical errors in our Bibles, not as much as we used to. But are there errors in your Bible? What do you think? A survey was done, and this is revealed in George Marsden's wonderful book, Reforming Fundamentalism, written several years ago. A survey was done in an evangelical seminary, one of the largest in America, the question was asked to the students, do they believe in the inerrancy of Scripture? The answer, 85% said no. And these are the people studying for the ministry. We have a flawed Bible, they're saying. What are they going to tell their people? Now, the whole question of inerrancy and Is the Bible infallible? Basically, those terms are interchangeable. They're terms that that teach us that the Bible coming to us from God in the original uh, documents is without error, and it is incapable of leading us astray. Now, you can abuse the Bible and its message and come up with a different message to proclaim and truly be led astray. All the cults do it. But the Bible itself, when properly understood, is incapable of leading us astray. It has no errors in it, and it can be trusted. For all practical purposes, those words are interchangeable, says J.I. Packer. And what it means in the end is that the Bible is over us. We are not over the Bible. We aren't the critics judging this book. Do I like that? Do I think that's right? That doesn't seem right. I think I'll reject it. Something must be wrong. No, no. The Bible is over us. I don't understand it. Maybe I don't like it. But I'll believe it because it's over me. What position do you take in light of the Scripture? Do you think you are greater than the Word? Or is the Word greater than you? The way we receive our Bibles is so telling... And will ultimately determine our destiny. It will ultimately determine our productivity as Christians. Our testimony. And on and on we could go. Well, there's a great verse in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 that talks about receiving the word of God. And I want us to focus in just on that one verse this morning in our study in 1 Thessalonians. Again, just to give you the backstory quickly, the Apostle Paul had a rough time in his first stop on European soil, the city of Philippi. He was abused, he was mistreated, and imprisoned, flogged. Some people came to Christ, there was some success, but they fled from the city and went 100 miles west to the second largest city in all the land of Greece, the city of Thessalonica, now called Thessaloniki. It still is today, the second largest city in Greece. When Paul got there, he only spent three, maybe four weeks, tops, preaching the word of God. A small church started. And then some jealous Jews, as they're called in Acts chapter 17, followed Paul. They caused a riot in The city of thessalonica paul had to leave under the cover of darkness he fled down south to athens then went to corinth when his ministry companions finally arrived with him paul was very concerned about how this fledgling church was doing way up in the north and so he sent timothy and some of the others to check it out timothy came back from thessalonica and said paul things are going great they heard your word and they believed your word They're characterized by this faith that produces activity. This love that keeps them toiling and laboring. And this hope. Hope is inspired, or this endurance that's inspired by hope. Paul, they're a model church. They're what every church should be. They turned from their dead idols, and now they serve the living God, and they're waiting for his son Jesus to come from heaven. Paul, they're the perfect pattern of what a church ought to be. And Paul rejoiced and wrote a letter called 1 Thessalonians, saying, I am so pumped to hear that you're following Christ. In chapter 2, Paul reviewed his approach in ministry in their midst, and he did it by four images. He said, when we were among you, we preached the word, first of all, verse 4, like a steward, as those approved by God and entrusted with the gospel. We don't own it. It's not our gospel, except as we embrace it, we call it ours. But it comes from God. He's approved us. He's entrusted us with this treasure of the good news, and we shared it with you. Then you'll notice Paul also said, the second image, verse 7, we were like a mother. A mother nursing her small infant child. We were feeding you God's truth. And then Paul says, the other image I want to mention is that we were like fathers. Verse 11. The father who encourages, who's present in the family, and who's a great example for his child. Instructing and encouraging. The fourth picture is found in verse 9. We were like a town crier. That's... Really what the word preached means in verse 9. Back before we had the internet and before we had the ability to go on TV and watch our news or even get it in a paper form, the town crier would go out and yell, Hear ye, hear ye. And he would tell you the town news. So-and-so just died. So-and-so just got divorced. Whatever the town news was, they would cry it out. Paul said, That's what we did. We were like a town crier. And this is the most popular word for preaching in the New Testament. To proclaim, to herald, to announce. Hear ye, hear ye. This is what God has to say. So Paul said we were like stewards. We were like mothers and fathers. And we were like town criers proclaiming the word to you. And what did you do with it? Well, look at verse 13. Paul says, we also thank God continually. We can't stop thanking God because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as it is actually, the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. The very first thing that I want to emphasize is the fact that the Word of God is received by us or it was received by them. But we take in the Word of God too. And when we hear the Word of God, we have two options. To say it's man's Word or God's Word. Think about that for a moment. The product, the writing, is only as good as the character of the author. If this Bible is man's book then it stands to be corrected if this is the product of man's mind it is not always accurate it can be rejected it lacks final authority and has limited impact because it's a human book and take the best writings of men whatever that may be The writings of genius and poetic expression of eloquence and wonderful composition. Maybe you're thinking of Shakespeare's writings as as genius as they are, as wonderful, as intriguing as they are. They're man's works. Limited, at times inaccurate. Its its impact is not universal and certainly not an authority that we would surrender our lives to. Paul's claim was different when they preached. Paul said, you receive what we said as the word of God. By the way, we could spend a lot of time on this, but Paul, in essence, is saying what the Old Testament prophets said when they preached, thus saith the Lord. We did the same thing. The New Testament apostles have the same stamp of approval as the Old Testament prophets. For they preach the word of God in a unique way, in an unrepeatable way, and here is the truth you need to embrace. Is it God's word or man's word? The proclamation came, now there is personal evaluation. The Bible still remains a bestseller, but I'm not convinced that everyone who buys a copy of it really follows it. Here's another survey, this time not taken by students in a seminary, but by clergymen, men and women who are occupying the pulpits in America. This survey was done of 10,000 of them. Seventy-four percent responded to the question, do you believe that the Bible is inerrant? Inerrant and faithful as it talks about matters of faith, history, secular matters. The answers are astounding. 95% of the Episcopalians in that group said no. 87% of the Methodists, no. 92% of the Presbyterians, no. 77% of American Lutherans, no. 67% of American Baptists, no. And I don't know how the other groups break down, but it is amazing that people in pulpits would say the book i'm using really isn't from god it's inaccurate (laughs) if that's what you believe about your bible it's going to affect the way you use your bible or don't use it right if you have such a low view of it and that's what so many people have today George Barna has been doing more studies and has found out that among evangelicals there's an appalling low number of people who believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God. I think it's somewhere in the 60 percentile. Of those in Bible-believing churches like ours, if you have a low view of the book, it will affect how you use the book or will cause you not to use it at all. Ignore it. But notice what Paul says about these guys. He says, I am so thrilled when you receive the word of God from us. By the way, there are two different Greek words for receive here or accept. The first word receive is actually a technical term. Along with another Greek word, it talks about something handed down and something being accepted or taken in. They're the words that refer to religious tradition being given from one generation to another. So Paul is saying, when we came to you with the religious message about God, the traditions about God, the truth about God, you received it. You heard it. But then he goes on to say, you heard it from us and you accepted it. This Greek word means to welcome something warmly. It's to give a kind reception to. It's to embrace. If someone comes to my house and knocks on my door, I usually give them one of two receptions. Um, If they're coming to sell something, if they're coming to take a survey, I often hide. (laughs) How many of you have ever hid from someone knocking on your door? Come on, raise your hands. I question the rest of you. Because we often hide and we say, Oh, I hope he doesn't see me. And now I don't care. I don't care if he saw me or not. I'm not coming to the door. And if I do sometimes come to the door and I realize, oh, it's someone trying to sell me something, I, you know, I listen to the spiel and I'll give them two no's before I slam the door in their face. That's not harsh, is it? I think that's very kind. Sir, would you like to buy this? No, thank you, I'm not interested today. But sir, this is a wonderful product and it will change. You. Well, thank you, but I'm not interested today. But sir, boom, the door goes in their face. They had their chance. I don't care if they know I'm a pastor or not. I think three times is extremely gracious. (laughs) I have viewed whatever they're trying to sell me or whatever they're trying to do is not worth my time. Right? Now, if you, my loved friend, comes to the door and knocks on the door, I'll give you an entirely different reception i will come and open the door wide and say oh it is so great to see you please come in let's break bread let's fellowship together so glad to see you it'll be a totally different reception some people see the word of god and they hide that's why they don't come to church they're hiding they don't want their deeds exposed they don't want the truth the light to shine on them They hide. Others give it a poor reception. Why, I can't understand that. Every time I try to read the Bible, it just doesn't make sense. I'm not going to read it again. Right? Now, the Bible is not the easiest book to understand. That's true. But we've got study Bibles. We've got teachers galore. You can go on the Internet for all kinds of great resources to understand the Bible. The problem is not with understanding We've got different translations to put it into better English for you if you need that. But our reaction to the Bible tells us what we really think of the book. This is no better than man's product. If Jesus were knocking on the door, do you think you'd answer? Yeah. And that's what they did. They welcomed the truth. Now this is God's word, so it's trustworthy. It's not unreliable. It's wise and holy. It's true and good and eternal. All of those things are true regarding the Bible. The psalmist tells us it converts the soul, the law of the Lord does. It enlightens the mind. It rejoices the heart. Everything you truly need to be saved, to have understanding and wisdom in this life, and to have joy in your soul and satisfaction, it comes from the book. When you receive it, it's God's book. Now, if I were to ask you the question and we were to do a survey, do you believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God? I believe we would have a large percentage of you who would say yes. Some wouldn't. But I dare say that a large percentage of us that would say yes, treat the Bible every day as though it's not the word of the living God. How sad is that? So these people said, no, we heard Paul preach and we knew it wasn't just Paul's word. This is more than just religious tradition being handed down to us. This is the word of God from the prophets of old and now the apostles of the New Testament. This is God's word, and they welcomed it into their soul. But notice something else in this text. The second thing is that the word of God is not only received by us, the word of God is at work in us, or at least it should be. Look at the last part of verse 13. You accepted this not as the word of men, but as it actually is the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. The Bible is active and powerful. I like the New Living Translation that says, Therefore we never stop thanking God that when you receive the word, his message from us, you didn't think of it as mere human ideas. You accepted what we said as the very word of God, which, of course, it is. And this word continues to work in you who believe. The Bible is alive, and the Bible is active. And the Bible is powerful. Remember Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God. It's the power of God into salvation. Now God is the one with almighty power, the Bible's the vehicle, and we are the very material that God is working on seeking to transform. Hebrews chapter 4, if you've never memorized this verse, let me encourage you to memorize it. Hebrews 4:12, for the word of God is alive and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword because it can pierce into the very innermost part of your being where your joints and marrow exist and it will discern not only your thoughts but your intentions it will lay them bare and that's why all things are naked and open exposed unto the eyes of him with whom we have to give an account to whom we must give an account Oh, the Bible is an amazing book. It's alive, it's active, it's living. I'll never forget, I was with Dr. Jim Greer. He's preached here many times, a mentor to Pastor Doug, a dear friend to us. He's now in heaven. But one time, someone was in our group and someone talked about the written word and talked about Jesus as the living word. And Dr. Greer said, oh, no. Jesus is the living Word. This is the living written Word. Don't just call it the written Word. It's the living written Word. I never forgot that. That's why I never said much in Jim Greer's presence. <laughs> because I'll always be found wrong somewhere. This book is alive. Do you believe that? And it imparts life. Years ago, there was a famous actor in the Moscow Theater. His name was Alexander Rostoyev. He was once playing the role of Jesus in a sacrilegious play called Jesus and the Tuxedo. He was mocking the Savior. He had a couple lines in which he would quote the Sermon on the Mount, and then he was to rip open his gowned, and yelled, give me a tuxedo and a top hat, and the farce would begin. Alexander came to the play and memorized his lines from the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And when he said those words, he began to tremble right in the middle of the play. And he froze. And people off stage were whispering his lines and giving him his cues. and They didn't quite know what to do. And then Alexander remembered a verse that his mother taught him when he was but a child. Those words from the thief on the cross. And he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. (laughs) And he walked off the stage and gave his life to Jesus Christ. It's the power of the word. By the way, that ruined the play. (laughs) The power of the amazing Word of God. Well, notice there's something else. The Word of God is at work in us when the catalyst of faith is exercised. The Word of God, which is at work, and by the way, that's a present tense, continues to do its work, In you who what? Believe. In other words, it's possible to take the word of God in without your soul gaining any profit because you take the word of God in and you don't mix faith with what you read. Again, back to Hebrews chapter 4. Let me just read this one verse to you. This is verse 2 of Hebrews 4. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, But the word they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. They received it with the hearing of the ear, but they did not accept it with the embrace of faith. Did you know it's possible to hear the word of God and hear the word of God and hear the word of God over and over and over again and never mix faith with it? I think one of the most astounding facts is that Nikita Khrushchev had memorized almost all of the four Gospels verbatim. And yet what we know about Nikita is that he never put his faith and trust in Christ. Years ago, when I was in Ohio, we had a problem with our driveway, and I had the big idea that I was going to do some concrete work never done any concrete work before but i was too cheap to call a truck to do the work so i went to the home improvement store and i bought a bag of ready mix you know what that is it's powder they said take this home mix it with water and poof it will become concrete (laughs) i'm not sure i believe them but again i was too cheap to do anything else so i bought the bag took it home mix it with water, and I had mud. And I had a mess. And I was so frustrated. And I remember trying to put it in and I couldn't fashion or shape it and I didn't know what I was doing and then the thing began to harden. And I began to panic. I didn't tell the other services this, but Nancy came to the rescue. (laughs) And she fixed my problem. But I came away thinking, you know, It's amazing. A bag of powder, you put a catalyst, water, in with that powder, and some chemical reaction begins to take place, and poof, the thing becomes as hard as cement. In fact, it was cement. (laughs) And God says, I'm giving you my living word, but Lord, it's not working. That's what some of you are saying. I read it, but I don't understand it. I've tried to read it, but my life hasn't changed. The problem is not with the mix. The problem is there's no faith. Because if you mix faith with the living word of God, the the almighty God of heaven who created all things, says you will be changed. I choose to believe him, not you. We always excuse ourselves. The excuses need to stop. You need to take in the precious word of God every day will you do that read some of it i don't care how much you read read some of it until you get a message from god this is the voice of god to your soul read it until there's something applicable that you understand something practical that you can do and write it down write it down on a napkin write it down on a piece of paper write it on your computer write it and put it on your refrigerator write it on your hand write it down this is what god told me to do today As you write it down, it'll become clearer to you. You'll have to think it through before you write it down. And then pray it in. Ask God to help you do that very thing. Will you do that? Take it in. Welcome it with faith. Get a message from God, something practical you can do. Write it down and pray that you'll do it. If you do that every day, even just 10 minutes your life will be transformed. Because the Bible says when you mix faith with what you hear as the word of God, God begins to work. Now I know some of you won't do it, so don't blame me when two or three years from now with regret you look back on this day and say, oh, I should have started. I would be different today. This is not my word, this is the word of God. I didn't come up with this message. This is, this is 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. When you hear the word, welcome it with faith. As God's word, not man's. And when you do, you will be transformed. This is a powerful book. Some of you may not know the name of Clarence Hall. He was, for many years, the senior editor of the Reader's Digest. But before that, Clarence Hall was a war correspondent during World War II, and he was attached to the troops that were going through the island of Okinawa, a bloody and difficult battle. They went from village to village and fought their way, gaining territory, until they came to one village that shook all of them to their core including Clarence Hall, and he had to write about it years later and put it into the Reader's Digest November 1960. They came to a little village that only had a couple hundred inhabitants. Shimabuk was the little village. It was different from any other place they had been in. You see, the backstory of this village is that 30 years before, a missionary was going through the island of Okinawa, and he came to Shimabuk. He didn't have much time. He preached them the gospel, and two people came to Christ, and he left them a Bible, and he left. And for 30 years, they never saw another Christian. I'm not sure they ever saw another American. The two people that came to Christ, Shoshi, Shoshi Shoshikina, He was the chief, tribal chief of that community. And his brother, Mojan, was the chief teacher. Mojan began to use the Bible as a textbook in his class and taught the Bible to the villagers every day. Shoshi said, from now on, our society will be based on the laws of this book. For they read this book and there was this wonderful, sterling life, Jesus. They said, he's worth following. And the principles of the Bible were so amazing. These are worth obeying. And the Bible became the law of the land in that little village. And for 30 years, the place became transformed. Now, the GIs are coming into this village. Their guns are leveled. They're expecting some resistance, another battle, and they're shocked by two little men who come before them and bow and graciously welcome them. They thought, since the missionary who came to them was an American and a Christian, these Americans must be Christians too. So they welcome them as brother Christians. Your tactics are a little different, but you must be Christians. You're from America. And they called the chaplain in when they began to talk through a translator and found out that the Bible had transformed this little village. Clarence Hall said, when we went into other villages, they were dirty, filled with ignorance, idols everywhere. And now this village was clean. The people were intelligent and kind, and idols were not to be found. The place was unbelievably different. Well, the two brothers saw the astonishment on the face of the Americans, and they thought that that meant disappointment. They apologized profusely. We are so sorry. We didn't have anyone to teach us. We tried to follow the Bible. We did the best we could for 30 years. We're sorry we didn't do better. Will you show us how? And the GIs were dumbfounded. I think it was the next day Clarence Hall was walking through the village as they toured the village and one old crusty sergeant was so shocked by what he saw he said i cannot believe this that just following jesus and a bible in a place is changed like this and then the sergeant made this astute observation he said perhaps we've been using the wrong weapons to change the world This." is the book that changes the world and it starts with you let's pray heavenly father we know that your word is the mighty power and voice of jesus himself that when we read the book the author is always present that it's your desire for this word to dwell richly in us so that we will live lives patterned after Christ and following your precepts. We know these things to be true. So, Lord, we thank you today for the holy scriptures, for their promises, their precepts, their light, their fire. And I pray, Lord that as we open them, you will open us, open our hearts to understand and learn, open our faith to embrace and believe. May we see more of Christ and become more like Christ as we open up our Bibles. Help us, Lord, to mix faith every time we hear or every time we read. Help us to mix faith with what we know and give us the courage and the strength to obey. May we be found under our Bibles and not critics standing over our Bibles. Lead us in the path of righteousness for your name's sake. Transform us according to your holy law that we would be a people of the book so that when others come in contact with us, they may be astonished that our weapons, our weapons of transformation are far different than theirs. To the eternal glory of God, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.